a.k.a. Bo Snurdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome. It is Saturday, the Saturday morning of our discontent. Well, of our content, in some cases, our discontent, if if you're looking at uh, life from the position of the new New York police commissioner, the new police commissioner, very unhappy she is with uh, with uh, this new district attorney from Manhattan. She can't see well is her name is her name. She's not happy. Yeah, she wrote a she wrote her own little memo that hey, this is going to be a disaster. Anyway, we we have that to talk about. Of course, the press, uh, never seen any press like it since I think Muhammad Ali died. The kind of press that Sidney Poitier, the death of Sidney Poitier is generating in some of these uh, liberal mainstream publications. And I, I saw a Sidney Poitier movie briefly last night that I hadn't seen since I was a kid. Lilies of the Field, the one that won him the... Uh, the Oscar back in 1964. So, yeah, that was interesting to go back and take a look at. It was interesting to see, you know, America defined Hollywood, openly religious movie with a religious sub theme in it. In addition to the, to the, to the, I guess what we would call today, the inclusionary aspects of the film, but it was a different kind of a film. And it was actually one that left a, uh, one that could leave you feeling, dare I say, good about the country, about yourself, and all of that. Those kind of movies have been long gone. If you want to weigh in on any of those things, 800 848 WABC is the number to call, or anything else this week. We have, This has been an incredible week. 800-848-WABC. This is the week of J6. This is the week the Democrats couldn't wait. They've been writing up and up and up in preparation to January 6th. There were articles coming along fast and furiously for the last month and a half. Then we got to January 6th, and now all of a sudden it's gone. All these articles about how democracy is teetering. We're all just teetering on the brink a failure here in America because Trump supporters waged an insurrection. All of those stories that the left has been pressing on our consciousness. They're done. Okay. July, January 6th is over. Uh, if you want to weigh in on the Aubrey verdict, we had someone yesterday that was taking issue with the verdict. The more you read about that verdict and the evidence that was presented in the case, I don't know how anyone can actually say that the wrong thing was done here in that verdict. Civil rights lawyer, Professor Lonnie Guineer died as well. Lonnie Guineer, 65 years, uh, she was 71 years old. It says here, let's see, is this the Washington Post? It is. A civil rights lawyer and scholar whose nomination by Bill Clinton to head the Justice Department's 
Civil Rights Division was pulled after conservatives criticized her views on correcting racial discrimination has died. She was 71. And sadly, um, complications due to Alzheimer's disease, which is a tough way for anyone to go. Guineer became the first woman of color appointed to a tenured professorship at Harvard when she joined the faculty in 1998. Before that, she was a professorette for the University of Pennsylvania's law school, previously headed the Voting Rights Project over at the NAACP, the NAACP, Mm -hmm. says she always wanted to be a civil rights lawyer. Now, when, when Clinton nominated her, Republicans were quick to point out they called her a quota queen and everything else. Guineer said the label was unfair. She didn't favor quotas or even write about them. That her views had been mischaracterized. That did not stop Bill Clinton from throwing her under the bus immediately. They had gone to school together. And Lana Guineer said had she been allowed to testify in a public forum before the United States Senate, she believed the Senate would have. Would have gone along with her nomination. And she said that she had endured the personal humiliation of being vilified as a mad woman with strange hair. You know what that means. Strange names, strange ideas, ideas like democracy, freedom, and fairness that mean all people must be equally represented in our political process. But at least any of you feel sorry for me, said Guineer at the time. The president still loves me. He just won't give me a job. That was Bill Clinton, who, spineless Bill Clinton, as soon as there was an objection to Lonnie Guineer. I tried to read through her writings. I did. And here's what I found at the time. I, I, I can't say that I have gone through them recently. But I wanted to see what all the fuss was back then with Lonnie Guineer, especially when it came, came to um, voting and all the rest of it. So I tried to get through it, and it was, I didn't understand most of what I was reading. I do remember that. It was way above the uh, uh, arguments that I was making during those days. I would have had to, I think, just tried to inch my way through it over and over again before I could get to some of the points she was making. But I did understand this. What she was looking to do was say that in certain situations, there needed to be what she called less of a tyranny of the majority, which is funny because now everything is is exact opposite. We have the tyranny of the minority running so many aspects of life in this country. But anyway, condolences to her family. Radical, though she may be from my point of view, very smart woman. Very smart woman. 
Lonnie Guineer, Alzheimer's disease, and uh, sorry about that. Uh, here we go again with this endless battle over school and corona. If it doesn't appear to you to be uh, uh, obvious who's in charge, hello, moms, who's in charge here? Yeah? The teachers' unions are in charge. The teachers' unions are dictating when there's going to be school, when schools are open. And those of you parents and politicians who don't like it, kiss off. Kiss off. Chicago, as we covered during the week, Chicago was interesting because the mayor said, hey, let's get the schools open. And on early in the week, the Chicago Teachers Union held a, held a uh, meeting, 11 o'clock at night, said, no, we're not going to go to school. We're done. We're going to do this remote thing. We're not showing up. And, of course, parents in Chicago were left scrambling. They had already prepared the, the idea that their kids were going to school. This is just one of the places where this, this, this bullying by teachers' unions is taking place. More than one million of this country's 50 million public school students will be affected by shutdowns this week. The kids are not the not the ones that are seriously ill by and large, but we do know kids are the ones suffering from remote learning, says Dan Kirk, whose son attends Walter Payton College Preparatory High School in Chicago, which was closed by the Chicago Teachers Unions. More district leaders, many educators say it's imperative for schools to remain open now. The teachers unions have an answer for that. It's called the solitary finger salute. They're not going to stay open. They're going to close, and they're going to have remote learning, and if you don't like it, too bad on you. Republican state-controlled legislatures in some states you would think would be pushing back against these teachers' unions, like in Kentucky. But even then, the teachers' unions are flexing their muscle, not to mention Los Angeles, Chicago. These activists that are running these teachers' union have more power than their own national leaders like Randy Weingarten of the AF, the American Federation of Teachers. I remember when Al, Al Shankler, Shanklin Shankler, used to run that joint. He was another one. They, they've always had a history of not really giving a damn what parents think. It's about their union, and that's it. Democrats are worried 
what is this going to do for the elections with these unions flexing their muscle like this? Hmm. What are they going to do? 800-848-9222. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. We've got a lot more news coming on board. Later next hour, Princess Di will join us. In the meantime, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, and we will be right back. Don't go away. Ah, yes. Genesis. <coughs> oh, I didn't hit the call switch. Here, let's practice that again. Hold on. Yeah. You know what? We have been playing. Yesterday we started playing. It is. It's. When is. Hey, Kev, when is the birthday, actually? Is it today? When, when, when is Elvis's birthday? Yeah, I believe it's today. Yeah, let's double check that to make sure we have that right. Okay? Because it would be Elvis Presley's 87th birthday. Which is pretty amazing that Elvis was actually, would be younger than uh, than Sidney Poitier. But if you were alive, of course, all things being equal. But, um, and yeah, so we'll play some more Elvis today. I mean, Elvis, the king of rock and roll. Why not? How could we not? What's that now? Elvis Presley, born January 8th, 1935. January 8th. It is today. 1935. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's go to the phones. Where do we start? Let's go to Daniel in New Jersey. Daniel, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy. What is on your mind this morning? How are you? Uh, you, you have excellent bumper music. Uh, I wanted to talk about something that's going to happen 10 days from tomorrow. Okay. It's a solar event up in uh, Barrow, Alaska. And the Eskimos get to see the sun for an hour, 20 minutes. They have a big pig roast, big celebration. What that means for us is that the earth, the top of the earth, is tilting toward the sun enough that upper Canada is starting to warm, um, Alaska, et cetera, et cetera, starting to warm up. It's kind of like the first sign of spring. Uh, One full week after that event, on January 19th, January 26th, our normal daily average high temperature per day goes up by one half a degree. Did I say that too fast? Or? No, I'm I'm following all of this with with interest. Okay, right, go ahead. Two two full weeks after this solar event is February second. Everybody knows the groundhog, and at that point in time, the sun warming the upper atmosphere, et cetera. Um, it our normal average daily high temperature goes up by one full de- degree per day. And the reason that some of this is happening is. I call it extended twilight. I don't think we need a religious holiday over it, but the residual light, not not the sunlight itself, but the sunlight that you get in the morning and the sunlight you, you get in the evening starts to grow at an increasing rate after that event. We, we're already seeing it now. I mean, it's staying light until 5, and I think just before 7, we saw a little bit of twilight. Wow. Are you, a, are you, are you an amateur scientist or are you a professional scientist? No, no, I'm just a normal person. 
just a normal guy who jag who likes to read and come to uh and acquire knowledge. That's pretty that's pretty spiffy. So it, this is the this is the point where everything really starts changing and it changes incrementally. And the next thing you know, we'll be celebrating uh, the end of winter and welcoming in spring again. And it's all happening right underneath our noses every single day. Yep, WABC Talk Radio seventy seven. James Golden, aka Nerdly, with you. Great call, love that. Where are we going next? Sal is in Long Island. Sal, welcome WABC. James Golden, aka Snurdy, with you. What's up? Hey, good morning, James. Happy New Year. Thank uh, you. I uh, uh, the Arby verdict, right? Arby, that's his. Uh, that's his name, Ahmed Ahmed or Ahmed Arby. Yeah, I think I believe they got those three guys: father, son, and the other person. They got the they got what they deserve. I believe that, but I think that RDA in New York, has proposed, like, 20-year maximum sentence, if I'm not mistaken? Our DA, in the new incoming DA in Manhattan, has said that he would not support what just happened in Georgia. In other words, life without parole sentences. And, and it is most certainly deserved for two of the three. If you looked at the um, sentencing, the sentencing went on for hours. It started at 10 in the morning. And if you went through all the sentencing hearing, uh, the impact statements, and then what the judge was asked by the prosec- by the prosecution to look at and also by the defense, it went on for hours. And finally, toward the end of the day, toward five or six years, that's when he actually gave and handed out the sentences. Our... Our new incoming Manhattan district attorney has gone on record saying he would not, he would not, he would not sign on to the kind of sentences that were just handed down in this case, that were just found to be justice for what took place. And that ought to give you a real interesting viewpoint as to how this new DA is going to be received in New York. It's just, and again, the police, the incoming New York City Police Commissioner is already reacting to the new uh, district attorney saying he puts the lives, he puts officers in danger. He puts the new this is as hard as it is to understand. The new chief prosecutor for Manhattan is putting is putting policemen's lives and pol- policemen and police women. He's putting their lives in danger with his policy. So we'll see how all this plays out. Eric Adams is still trying to make nice instead of just telling this guy, "Look, you don't run this city, and we're not going to have it." Eric Adams is still trying to make nice. We'll see who wins. By the way, there's a story out of uh, BPR today, Bizpack Review. You know that woman whose show was on, that angry, bitter woman whose show was on PSNBC? She's always had some racial thing that she's always outraged over or stirring up some race hate 
or something anyway. Apparently, there are stories um, on and other media outlets that say that she is going to lose her television show on PMSNBC. So let's see whether that turns out to be the case or not. Goodness, wonder what she's going to do if she doesn't have that platform. Google, who says the bad guys get away with it all the time. Google infringed on five audio technology patents held by speaker manufacturer Sonos. And they're not going to be allowed to import their products into the United States. Now, how's that? Google, too big for, too big to get busted, too big for anything? Well, apparently, Sonos took them to court. They, Sonos had asked the Trade Commission to block imports of Google products that violate an infringement on, on their patents. And the Federal Trade Commission agreed. So, starting in a few weeks, Google Home smart speakers, Pixel phones and computers, and the Comcast streaming video device, all of those things made in China will not be allowed into the United States because they infringe on five different audio technology patents held by Sonos. Huh. That's just amazing. Google actually gets busted. Here's that story I referred to earlier. New York Police Commissioner Keechan Sewell sent an email to the police force on Friday saying she's concerned for their safety. In light of the progressive policies announced this week by the new Manhattan District Attorney, Mr. Bragg, she said, the new PD commissioner, she said she studied these policies. She's very concerned about the implications to your safety as police officers, to the safety of the public, and justice for the victims. I am making my concerns known to the Manhattan District Attorney and hope to have a frank and productive discussions to try to reach more common ground. District Attorney Alvin Bragg, in his first memo issued Monday, instructed his staff to stop prosecuting many low-level offenses, to seek reduced charges, especially the ones I love. You know, hey, bring your gun, and don't worry about it. Bring your gun, because we're not going to charge you with any gun crimes unless, you know, you kill somebody, we may, or unless you seriously hurt somebody with the gun, we may prosecute you. But bring your gun. That's one of the ones I really love from this guy, Alvin Bragg. Bring your gun to the scene of the crime, because... Eh, We're not going to prosecute gun crimes. Sewell, who recently um, started in her role after being appointed by the new mayor, says that the progressive approach to things, these progressives, will quickly erode quality of life in the city. It sends a message to police officers that they are not protected. Well... We shall see. This is going to be what a ride this is going to be.
The Supreme Court, Diana talked about this yesterday. Princess Di was on with us. And we briefly touched on the case before the United States Supreme Court, the two cases, actually, that will determine whether Joe uh, Biden's mandates live on, COVID mandates. And there's an article today, New York Post, Supreme Court liberal justices slammed over vax mandates. It's amazing how much the three liberals on the court got wrong in front of everybody about the vaccines. And so that's coming up. Your call's coming up as well, 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. James Golden, that case, nearly we're back with you after this. Don't go away. Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC. Talk Radio 77. Elvis Presley brings us back. Today, 87. That, that's right. With the man often called the king of rock and roll. Elvis Presley, 87 years old today. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. Hey, let's get back to the phones. Where where are we going and what's up? Let's go to Isabel, and Isabel is in Long Island. Isabel, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. What is on your mind, Isabel? Good morning, James. Um, you know what? I was really disheartened to see the amount of errors and misinformation that these the Supreme Court justices, the people in charge of actually defending um, our rights under the Constitution, how well, how much stuff they got wrong? <laughs> I, I I could not believe it. <laughs> I, I you know I, I was I said this these are the people who we are supposed to you know depend to defend us. And these they, are the people that so are supposed wrong. to make the most informed decisions about our lives. These are the people that we trust to make the most informed decision about the Constitution. And there was one question in there that the, the, and Diana pointed this out yesterday, that Sonia Sotomayor, Mayor, the wise Latina, that she, this this question that she was asked, she was asking, well, it's just, this is, let me go read read it so you'll get what I mean. First of all, Sotomayor um, said that the Omicron is as deadly as Delta, which is wrong. We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity. Wrong. With, With people severely ill on ventilators. Wrong. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before in serious conditions, Sotomayor said, and many on ventilators. Wrong. She was wrong on all of this. And then at another point in the argument, Sotomayor says, I'm not sure I understand the distinction why the states would have the power 
to institute a rule like the one being pursued by the Biden administration, but the federal government wouldn't. Well, this is goes directly to what our Constitution is. Those powers that are not granted by the federal government revert to the states. There's, it's a very simple answer to her question. She got it, and then so many of them. Uh, she also made some statements during the Occupational Safety and Health Administration part of the case. I mean, there are two different cases that she was, that the Supreme Court took up yesterday. And her statements were just uh, uh, the most egregious. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead, Isabel. No, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I this is why we need, um, I, I, you know, it's almost, I, I, I'm just flabbergasted because I said, I said, this is why we have to be very courageous and fight for our rights and hold politicians and everybody accountable. Just because we vote, we cannot sit back and let them run, you know, roughshod over, you know, how they, the policies that they want to implement. We have to be a very involved citizenship, citizen, citizenry. Otherwise, we're not going to have a country in 10, 20 years to fall back on. You know, James, I want to tell you, my dad escaped Cuba. And I want to tell you, I am not afraid to stand up for my right because I know that, first of all, I love the United States of America. This is a country that adopted us. It gave us a home. And I tell my friends who were born here, you have to fight for your country. You have to stand up and you can't be afraid of the government. Some of these politicians are self-serving. And so, therefore, we have to be involved. I love your call. And you understand what this country is because you understand what it's like to lose your freedom or to have your freedom never granted you by a communist dictator for so long, Cuba has been under the influence of those who mean the citizens of that state, that nation state, no good intent at all. They enrich themselves while the population stays under the thumb of these leaders. Are th- Let me ask you a question. Are things changing in Cuba right now, though, now that the Castros are, are no longer running things? Are things changing in Cuba? Do you know? Isabel? Go ahead. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, no, they ha- it has not changed. Do you have any any hope that it will change? Um, not really. No? <laughs> I, I, yeah, not really. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. Thank you for the call, Isabel. Really appreciate okay. it. Thank you, my darling. WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Boss Nerdly. Where do we go to next? Mike in Middletown, New Jersey. Mike, welcome, WABC. What, what's up, Mike? Hello, James. Happy New Year to you. I received your book for as a Christmas gift. Loved it so far. Uh, Thank and you. And before I get to my point, I just want to tell you that Tuesday is, a, is always a Steinamite Tuesday with the, with the addition of Mark Stein. He's fabulous. Thank um, I like that Steinamite. Appreciate it. Uh, that. that that's his line, though. I ripped it off from him, so okay. he's used that before. But uh, what I was going to say is January 6th, it's Elvis's birthday today, and yep. January 6th should be remembered far more for what happened 
1957 with Elvis than this insurrection because it was on that date that he appeared from the waist up only on the Ed Sullivan show. The only time he ever ever was shot that way, which made him a tremendous star, as you all know. Yeah, that was that was that was that was just that was just the beginning of the Elvis explosion across America. You know, do you remember what he performed that day? I can, I can tell you the yeah, I can tell you the exact set list. He he did a medley of uh, Heartbreak Hotel, Love Me Tender, Hound Dog. Then he sang Don't Be Cruel, in which he actually modeled the performance of Jackie Wilson who he'd seen do it in Las Vegas, if you can believe it. He was a big fan of uh, Wilson at the time. Oh, yeah. He also did, he also did um, Too Much, his latest single, When My Bloomin' Turns to Gold Again, and he ended it with a gospel song, Peace in the Valley, at which point Ed Sullivan said, came out and said, this is a real decent, fine young man, and wherever <laughs> you go, we wish you all the best. So, Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Hey, Kev, do we have any of those songs, Handy, that you can put your finger on right now? Absolutely. Let's play something. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great call. Appreciate it. Let's play something. Go ahead. Love me tender. Love me sweet. Never let me go. You have made my life complete. And I love you so Love me tender Love me true All my dreams fulfill For my darling I love you And gentlemen 87 years old today all right let's go back to the telephones and where do we go let's go to michael in cliffside park cliffside park michael welcome how are you First of all, I, I have to correct you. You're saying that the teachers' union is running the cities. No, it's not that the teachers' union is running the cities. It's that the mayors of these cities have absolutely no backbone. Because if they did, they would tell them, here's the deal. If you don't show up for work, you don't get paid. Not only that, but we'll fine your union so you get your rear end back to school and start teaching. The choice is yours. But the reason the teachers' union is so powerful is because these mayors have the backbone of an overcooked piece of spaghetti. They're spineless, like Mayor Lightfoot. She is basically a coward with all the rest of them. Now, Mayor Lightfoot the other day mouthed the words that you just said. She mouthed those words. She said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to pay you if you do this. And the teachers' union told her, go shove it up wherever it deserves to be shoved. We don't care. We're not coming into work. And you're going to pay us anyway, you idiot. And let's see who wins that battle. So far, it looks to me like the the Democrat Party teachers unions are winning the battle over the Democrat Party mayors. Do you agree with that, Michael? Only if they pay pay the teachers, 
then yes, the Democratic Party is over, takes the part of the teachers union. If they don't pay them, then you, you can bet your life those teachers will come back to work. Plus, they should find them like they do in New York. They're civil servants. They're not allowed to do that. Find them on top of it, and you'll see how fast they'll come back in. Do you honestly think that in Los Angeles, the second, that's the other place where this is happening, Los Angeles Unified School District, which is the second largest school district in America. Do you think that the Democrat mayors out there, do you think that Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, and do you think even in New York, if the teachers union here in New York says, screw you, we're not showing up, do you think that these mayors are going to actually find these teachers unions? Let us remember where the, can- com- the, the campaign contributions come from for a Democrat Party. They come from these teachers' unions. Do you think they're going to find their main political benefactors? Hmm. I don't hear an answer to that. Anyway, WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Uh, let's take a break. We're coming back. We have more of your calls and we have more news. Don't you dare go away. Coming right back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. ABC Talk Radio 77, uh, from the Elvis era to the disco era. Wow, and who can't remember where you were when this came out? Somewhere in the closet, don't you have your, like, white boots? BG's WABC Talk Radio 77. Where are we going with the telephones? Let's go to Robert in the Bronx. Robert, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy. What is on your mind this morning? Hey, James. Hi. Listen, I don't want to come off sounding uh, maybe naive, but do you think... Uh, John Katsimatidis and the other station owners can come together and do something to get rid of the new DA? Well, I don't know whether they would want to get rid of him. I mean, I think that this is, look, this is, he, the man has not taken office yet. So far, all we have is this egregious, outrageous memo stating what he would like to do. And if you look at, and, and, and then look what happened after he released that memo. It's almost like the entire city united and said, are you crazy? Yeah, I, I know, but <laughs> he's, he's standing up there on a pedestal thinking he's, uh, you know, better than, you know, he's, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. But do you think that Eric Adams, the new incoming mayor, is going to allow his first year agenda to be hijacked by this Manhattan district attorney? You know, I mean, I hope he sticks to his guns, you know, but it's scary. Yeah, it is scary. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think that in the end, the mayor's going to have a quiet little sit down with this clown. I shouldn't say that. I don't mean to call the man a clown. I'm sorry. I find these proposals so radical, I just can't believe that they that he would have the audacity to put them out. Now, I do understand from talking with some of my friends on the progressive left that some of these policies are supposedly divine to stop the cycle that we have that are seeing many young men sent to prison almost from an early age. Supposedly, that's what they're about. So... I still think that they are radically ineffective and will do nothing except leave this city in worse shape. I do think that the new incoming mayor has the biggest stake in all of this. He cannot afford to look as if his opening days of mayor have been taken over by radicalism. And so I think he's going to end up having a private meeting and telling Mr. Bragg, shut up. Why would you even suggest this? Look, if Bragg gets his way, this is all that is going to consume New York news. Every time one of these things blows up in his face, every time he releases some criminal And that criminal goes on to do something terrible. There's a news story. He has made, this guy, Bragg, has made it really apparent that he wants to be the biggest story in New York. Not the incoming mayor, but the incoming DA. If the incoming mayor lets this happen, he's crazy. The incoming mayor needs to put a stop to this. His police commissioner has already stepped up to the plate and said, nope, this puts New York York police officers in danger. Somebody's going to be backed up. We'll see whether it's the mayor, whether it's the New York police commissioner, or whether it's D.A. Bragg. Where do we go next? Let's go to Walker in Jersey City. Jersey City, Walker, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Good morning, James. I, I wanted to bring up a couple of things about Rush, and uh, and I feel like Saturday's the time to do it. And uh, one of the things was that I really liked about Rush was his nicknames. And uh, my favorite one was uh, Wilbur Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then when he called Tucker Chatsworth Osborne, uh, you know, I felt like that was not a put-down of Tucker. It was just kind of like he nailed it, you know. And uh, and if you didn't watch Dobie Gillis or, or Mr. Ed, you didn't get it, you know. You know, it's funny because when I was on Tucker's show, 
I kind of explained the, the, the Chad's worst odds born junior uh, with Tucker. Tucker and I had a great conversation. What a great guy he is. In fact, one of these days, I'd love to have Tucker on this show. And I think that you're absolutely right. With, with Rush and with Chadsworth Osborne, that was an affectionate nickname. That was not um, making fun of Tucker Carlson at all. It was an affectionate sort of a nickname for him. All right, may have been a little bit, but yes, Chadsworth Osworth Jr. Okay, go ahead. What else? You know, uh, when Rush went into rehab, uh, Ann Coulter went on, uh, uh, I think it's Mark Levin's show, and she made the comment that, gee, after all these years, Rush has been working with half his brain tied behind his back. And I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was a beautiful line because, I mean, he, you know, he really was, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was he, but he was always on it. He was always on it. When you told me about him coming in uh, sick and, 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 and then, and then turning it, turning the button on, and 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 doing the three-hour show. Uh, you know, I just, I just never felt that. I never got the impression that he was, he was that, he was in that bad of shape. Uh, you know, last year, you know, when he was dying. And, yep. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, and and and, and you know, the, the other thing about Rush too. The last thing is that when when Al Franken's show came on the air, Rush went on vacation. And I think that that was – I always thought that was a, uh, a planned thing was that, okay, I'll give you all a week to listen to Al Franken to see how bad he is, and then you'll come back to me in a week. No, I don't – see, I don't believe that that was planned at all to do because he didn't give a hoot. He did not – Al Franken wasn't even on his radar screen in terms of any competition whatsoever. So it wasn't planned. Rush plans his va- his vacations around things – that he has set up in advance. It had nothing to do with, with that show coming on. And that show, of course, like so many other liberal shows, didn't last. I remember, one, you remember one of the first shows that was supposed to take on Rush from the left? It was Jim Hightower. Jim Hightower was the liberal. Oh, he was going to take on Rush. Then you had Cuomo. The, um, and it was Mario Cuomo. Then Mario Cuomo was supposed to do a radio show that was supposed to take on Rush. That didn't last. Then you had this America's Network, whatever it was. They straggled together a bunch of liberals from around the country. And that thing failed and folded, spent a lot of money, didn't produce any real ratings, and that failed. And you could go on and on. Every year they'd come up with somebody from the left that was supposed to be able to take on Rush Limbaugh. And they never, ever could produce anyone that could take on Rush Limbaugh. And that is one of the legacies about Rush. Rush was just so far ahead of the curve of everybody else in this industry at what he did. And he was ahead of the curve because he was so exceptionally well-prepared. He was so exceptionally smart and intuitively brilliant. And there was, you know, the goat is the goat. And that's the way it is. Look, I appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Where do we go next? Let's go to Victor in West Hempstead. Welcome, Victor. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. What's on your mind? Yes, good morning, Bo. We're blessed to have you, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to touch on uh, Kamala Harris's disgraceful prescripted speech the other day. Mm-hmm. Comparing uh, 1-6 to 9-11 and so forth, you know. 
Mm-hmm. In addition, I have in addition, I have two words for Kamala Harris: Willie Brown. Your audience should Google that. She well, was being kept by him, and he was a married man, and that's what gave her her jump to uh, fame and fortune. <laughs> so. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. If you want to expound on that, well, I would. Yeah. Well, number one, I don't talk about her uh, personal life with Willie Brown that much, because after all, I mean, they were two consenting adults, and so okay. God, whether it was Willie Brown that went public with it or whether it was her, I just thought, gee, what an odd thing to go public with. But at the same time, you talked about this speech on January sixth, where she basically compares this January sixth day as being on the same order of what happened at Pearl Harbor, the same kind of order on what happened on the, with the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And no, this, was, this is why Democrats fail, because they have been trying to cudgel, use this January 6th as a cudgel for over a year now to beat down Republicans. And I just can't, I, I, re, I remember looking at the pictures of Washington's Capitol behind, behind barbed wire, behind this massive enclosure. Now here the Democrat Party could not and cannot get around securing our borders. But you let an incursion happen into their building and they built in record time, they surrounded the place, wouldn't let anybody in or out. They were all about security. And, of course, no one was trying to get in or out. At the same time they were doing it, what did they, how did they treat the people that they had asked to come protect them? They left many of the people from the National Guard who they rushed into D.C. to protect them they let them fend for themselves. They let them sleep in parking lots, in, in parking garages. They didn't even see fit to have these people stay at decent hotels or decent accommodations. They could care less about the people that defend this country, and they could care less about the people that defended them. This entire January 6th thing has been one huge mistake the way the Democrats have played it. They claim that democracy of the United States is threatened. The only threat to the democracy is from them. They're now trying to tie this into one of the most partisan voting rights, voting rights nothing, a partisan voting bill that will pretty much rob Republicans of power in their own elective states. And this is what they're trying to use this January 6th thing to do. They are overreaching one more time because that's what Democrats do. They overreach. Most people can see through this. And despite these, these, these continued attacks in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, and we're talking relentless, day-after-day articles about how evil and awful these events were on January 6th. Now they've shot their wad. 
No one's buying it anymore. They spent the last two months pretty much hyping up this one day. The day came, the day went, and now it's like, what do you have now? Nothing. Yeah, interesting. January 6th, Kamala Harris. That's just one more reason that Kamala Harris's poll numbers are below Joe Biden's, and that's saying something. Pretty disgraceful, actually. Okay, we have an hour left, you and I. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. We've got lots of calls, so if you're on hold, please stay on hold. Don't you dare go away. Don't dare go away. Definitely want to speak with you. Princess Di is coming up in this hour as well. And we've got more news. All in all, it's a wonderful Saturday in the neighborhood. <laughs> James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, with you. 800-848-WABC is the number to telephone. Telephone number to call, 800-848-WABC. And we are coming back for our number two shortly. Stay here. Saturday, WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden with you here, a.k.a. Mr. Snurdly. You can be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is how you do it. Coming up this hour, our princess of policy, Diana Mee. Coming up this hour, more of your telephone calls. And more news. Frankly, I sent Diana some stories. I can't wait to talk about with her. But you know what? There's another. Um, there's another story that um, you remember this this school shooter from Michigan recently. And uh, you you talk about uh, there's not going to be any lenience here if things continue to go the way that they are going for the Crumbly family. They want their bail reduced, and in this age of district attorney saying, sure, cut them loose. Who needs bail? Cut them loose. No go. The parents' bond set at $500,000 apiece. They're trying to get it reduced to $100,000 each. And no. No go. Their 15-year-old son, Ethan, is charged in the shooting and killing of four classmates at Oxford High School in Michigan. And afterwards, they um, the police went after the parents. They hid in an abandoned warehouse in Detroit. They concealed their car by hiding their license plates and turning, instead of turning themselves in. The day they were charged. And they were charged... 
they're pretty much being held accountable for for providing the guns. Yeah, no, there's not going to be any uh, there's not going to be any leniency, any of this. Ooh, let's go with some progressive bail numbers when it comes to this. Now, again, I watched a lot of the uh, sentencing hearing yesterday with this case in Georgia, Ahmed Arbery, and I must admit to being a little surprised about something. The the neighbor, Roddy Bryant, 52 years old, will be eligible for parole when he's 82. Um, and I thought that maybe the son would have gotten a possibility of parole, 35 years old, the youngest in the case. And no, they're going to spend 30 years and then the son another 20 to run consecutively on a lesser charge. So, I mean, there's they this Aubrey case, the three of them are staying in jail. These men, you know, these vigilantes decided that they didn't want this kid in their neighborhood going to through a construction site. And let that, let's face it, folks, there are lots of people that do that. Now, some people do it with bad because they're bad actors and they want to go in these construction sites and start stealing all of the copper and electrical that's in there. Other people are just curious. They go through construction sites. They want to see how the thing is being built. I don't know whether this kid, Aubrey, had good intentions or not. I do know it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't up to the ex-cop, Gregory McNichol, just by the way, wonders, makes you wonder about his judgment as a cop. His son, the shooter, Travis McMichael, 35 years old. And then the neighbor just makes you wonder. But they're not going to be getting out of jail. The only time Roddy Bryant may get out of jail is when he's 82 years old, 30 years from now. Wow. Fox has a story today on What's going on at Western Carolina University? Gender unicorn training. Gender unicorn training. How do you even explain this to people who have no clue about what they're talking about with gender unicorn training? Rainbow 101, students shown picture of gender unicorn outlining various gender identities, gender expressions, along with a video entitled Human Sexuality is Complicated. No, it is not. It is human sexuality, well, it's not that complicated. By the way, They had a vigil on January 6th. And one of the vigil leaders that Nancy, a candlelight vigil, 
one of the one of the the leaders that they got to do this was an antifa affiliated woman who planned disruptions of both President George Bush and President Donald Trump events. So this goes to show you how disingenuous these people are, these Democrats. They could care less about violence. This is all just talk. They don't think democracy is teetering. It's all just talk. Speaking of Democrats in Virginia, where this week a lot of Democrats jumped the gun and tried to blame incoming governor for the snow, the response to the snowstorm instead of Governor Northam. Governor Northam, who then blamed drivers in the state for driving on the roads after he warned them that we're going to have some snow on the roads. Anyway... Mr. Youngkin, who was not governor, who Democrats tried to blame on it, has already is already experiencing his first controversy, and that's that Virginia Democrats are aiming to block one of his picks. Governor would like Andrew Wheeler to be Natural Resources Secretary. That has alarmed Democrats. You see, Andrew Wheeler was Trump's EPA chief. So they are raising hell in an effort to try to stop him from assuming and taking that position. Well, he's news about one of my relatives. A rare Toni Morrison short story to be published as a book, you say. Yeah, Toni Morrison. Yeah, we're related. Distantly. Boy, I bet she doesn't know. The late Toni Morrison. Beloved, the bluest eye. Rare term Toni Morrison to be published as a book. I won't bore you with the details of that. Okay, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by the Princess of Policy, Darian and me. And we'll discuss other things, and then we'll go back to your phone calls. How's that? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. Don't you dare go away. Coming right back. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Princess Di. Paula Abdul. Creamy, we never agree. We always agree on, well, most of the time. Welcome, Princess Diana. How are you this morning? James, I am traveling my kingdom in my royal coach with my surly bodyguard, and I am just, you know, soaking up the enjoyment here. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. 
Yes, out to see the provinces and the hamlets and all that you survey, all that you you are you are the proud owner of all that you survey across America as you got on these excursions. So yes, it is so exciting. But if you hear traffic noise, that's what it is. Okay, I have to. You know, if people missed you yesterday, Diana, this thing was classic. We have to do a quick reprise. Because no one knew, I didn't know until yesterday when you pointed it out to us, that our first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, has demanded, demanded her own fanfare. Just like we play hail to the states for, and hail to the chief, rather, for the president of the United States. Now, first lady Jill Biden has demanded And this is not a joke. It is not satire. She has demanded her own music when she is introduced into the public. And thank you for bringing that story to our attention. And we have the music. And so for those of you that did not hear it yesterday, we'd like you to hear. Thanks. Diana brought this to our attention. Princess Di. The fanfare for the first lady of our country, Dr. Jill Biden. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, the First Lady of the United States, Jill Biden. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the First Lady of the United States, Jill Biden, accompanied by the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, and the 2020 and 2021 National Teachers of the Year, Tabitha Rosproy and Juliana Ertube. I still can't believe that somebody actually thinks that this is a great idea. I think your caller yesterday was right. It does sound like the F Troop beat. <laughs> <laughs> it's really appropriate. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're going to we're gonna bring out some F Troop music next week, and we are gonna isolate that. Um, well, you should call it FJB. You know, FJB. Yes, F Joe Biden. Uh, Jill Biden. Just so entertaining. I love it. Yes. Well, Diana, there's a a, a a story in today's New York Times. Oh, poor old Carl Bernstein has given a eulogy for the newspaper business, apparently. <laughs> the business he helped yes. kill. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that's that's a fair point. This is a book review by Jill Abramson, who used to be a bigwig at the New York Times. And Carl Bernstein's book is called Chasing History, A Kid in the Newsroom. And it is basically an autobiography of his early days. And Jill Abramson, you know, not so nicely calls it a really boring read. She says, get me rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, he just follow. He has so many names and places, and you know, old school. It's like a, he's seventy-seven years old, and he's reminiscing, and he just, you know, let the memories fly. But there are a few interesting things about his early days, and as Jill Abramson said, that was during the golden age of newspapers. Twenty-five percent of the nine thousand newspapers fifteen years ago are gone. And she says is now we have a news desert and a weakened democracy because of the lack of newspapers. And so anyway, she basically makes this comment, which I think is really interesting. Bernstein's early career coincided with journalism's transition away from a trade for poker playing working class tough guys to a more genteel profession recruiting from the Ivy League. She's pointing out that basically they changed from being a tough crew who knew their business and knew their field to a bunch of Ivy Leaguers. And you know what it reminded me of? What's that? It reminded me of something that Ben Rhodes said. Uh, He was Obama's deputy national security advisor for communication. And he pointed out, bragging, he said the average reporter we talk to is 27 years old, and their only reporting experience consists of being around political campaigns. They literally know nothing. And he went on to brag how that made it so easy to spin them because they were just taking dictation from the Obama administration. So I think that what, you know, what uh, Jill Abramson said about the transition from basically old school journalists, reporters, writers who knew their trade, who knew their beat, who knew their business to this effete leftist political uh, activist crowd has been the cause of the death of newspapers. As you pointed out, he was part of this. He's part of the reason became, why. Yeah. Yes, he. they became all in to get rid of presidents after Woodward and Bernstein were able to That's do that. That was Woodward and Bernstein and the Washington Post job. Their job yeah. wasn't to report on Nixon. Their job was to get rid of Nixon, period. Yeah. And they and, and so they are proud of it. Generation went into the business. That is entirely their. They loved it. They loved the movie, and they are just you know itching to. That's why they their purpose in life is to get rid of Republican leaders, and so that's why you see what you see today. And they're very bad at their jobs. So they've lost audience, and basically they're being all sentimental about it. But they're the ones who did it. Now, there's also a story over there talking about ABC News, abcnews.go. Students demand action after Penn professors' racist comments about Asians. Like, well, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. What's that story about? Well, this is a tenured law professor at uh, UPenn, the University of Pennsylvania. Her name is Amy Wax. And she was being interviewed by Glenn Laurie, who is a very interesting guy and who is also a professor at Brown University at the Glenn Show. So you had a couple of professors sitting around talking, and the uh, left has pounced on a quote within it, which I agree sounds horrible. But, (laughs) however, it does not give the context and she i can read the whole quote go ahead please 
Okay. She says, maybe it's just that Democrats love open borders and Asians want more Asians here. Perhaps they are just mesmerized by the feel-good cult of diversity. I don't know the answer, but as long as most Asians support Democrats and help advance their positions, I think the United States is better off with fewer Asians and less Asian immigration, which is in my opinion, a horrible thing to say. However, (laughs) when she says, I don't know the answer, it sounds to me like Glenn Lowry asked her the question, why do newly arrived Asians vote Democrat? And she is answering that question. And then she, I think, makes a joke, basically, if they're going to support Democrats, then we don't want them, which is an awful thing to say, to generalize like that. However, Jane, Think about the flip side of that. This is the Democrats' unstated racist policy when it comes to Hispanics. Let me read that quote, putting those words in. As long as most Hispanics support Democrats and help advance their positions, I think the United States is better off with more Hispanics and more Hispanic immigration. I think that is the unstated racist position of the entire left. And so to me, if you're going to react to her quote, which I think is wise to react to her quote, you also have to look at the flip side. And, you know, making comments on voting on a group as a reason to have them in the United States, it should be beyond the pale for both sides. Quite interesting, which is why I asked you to comment on it, by the way. And so one other thing, and I, I hate to spring this one on you. That guy over there in France, Macron, Macron, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, he's being very rude to his own people. He's, like, calling his people names because they won't get vaccinated. What's up with these? Why are these? Why? Is it just, does, do they not worry about re-election over there? Well, it's the same attitude that Biden had. When he said his patience was wearing thin, you know, it's like uh, Macron said a very similar thing. He said that the French policy of the official policy of the government is deliberately to this is his quote. I don't want to use bad language, but he said he wanted to piss off the unvaccinated. And so he was going to just turn the screw to the bitter end. And so the reaction among his people were to stop all debate because this was seen as a completely, I mean, it was non-helpful to the side of the people who want everyone to be vaccinated. Because when you say, I'm deliberately trying to anger people who are uh, in opposition to my policies, then you're basically a dictatorship. So it's, you know, hearkening back to Louis XIV. <laughs> like, I am the state, you know, I'm trying to make you angry. So yes. it's the same attitude that Biden has about how he's lost patience with the unvaccinated. It's attitude. Well, these liberals are the same no matter where you go. I'm just yep, just amazing. I, you know, I watched Sidney Poitier last night. I watched that movie, Lily of the, uh, whatever it is, Lily Field? of the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised, Diana. I mean, it was wholesome. Yeah. It was that really wholesome. The impression you get when you watch old movies, you see the, the B-roll, as it were, just the street scenes and the, you know, showing of society in the background, the things that were assumed. It was a completely different feel, you know, way more 
well-behaved in general. And Well, here you, know, you have this black Baptist guy teaching a bunch of German nuns how to sing amen in sort of a semi-gospel thing, and then he's building them a chapel, and the whole thing has all these religious overtones, and it's good, and people doing good things, and it shows the power of belief and prayer, and and that and that things are like. Wait a minute! When did Hollywood did Hollywood make movies like this? Yes, consistently. And they wonder why their audience is dwindling. Same with the newspapers. It's like when you insult the values of your audience, no matter what product you're trying to produce, you're going to lose customers. And it doesn't matter when it comes to journalism and, and entertainment. They do not care that the American public is turning away from them. In fact, they're proud of it consistently but it is helpful to to watch those old movies because you're reminded of a better time and it was even in the i mean you know you think about 1964 and all the problems that we were experiencing as a country in when that movie this was a year after kennedy was assassinated for goodness sakes right and so you you already had the country gone through this turmoil and this is the movie that wins the Oscar, and it is about God. It's about, you know, coming together of different faiths, people from different faiths, from different crosswalks of life. You had a huge role of the, the Hispanic population in Arizona, this lone black guy hanging out with a bunch of German nuns, and da da da. It was just, it was just like, wow, what happened? This it was, was a shared value system among yeah. all groups in America. And you remember Dr. Martin Luther King was a preacher, and he called the country using Scripture, and it resonated. So that was a shared language that is being lost, unfortunately, although it still exists in the heartland. Mm, amazing. Well, Diana, thank you so much, Princess Di. And hello to uh, your surly body bodyguard, uh, Surly Mike, and you keep her safe, Surly Mike. And um, as as yes, as you as the princess surveys the country, and we will speak with you next week or during the coming week, Diana. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, James. All right, Bye. James Golden, the case nerdy here, back with you in a moment. Don't go away. W A B C Talk Radio 77 James Golden aka Snurley with you here it is Saturday morning Spencer Davis group brings us back and where do we go to a z- visit of z telephones Kev where are we going John in Bergen County New Jersey Hey John welcome WABC Talk Radio 77 Mr. Golden, always an honor. I just wanted to uh, respectfully disagree with some things you said earlier. Okay. Um, Mayor Adams, as um, well-intentioned as he may be, has a lot of things he's going up against. And I think anybody who doesn't think the city is going to be worse off four years from now than it is today is kind of naive. You have the Progressive Party has basically made its move on New York State, and they control it through the unions. They control who gets elected in this state, and it's going to move a lot more towards California than where it is right now. 
You wait, 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 wait. Let me see if I let me see if I'm following you on this. So your take is that the progressives have already won New York, and what we're seeing play out right now is the progressives are actually in charge, not Mayor Adams, not this more moderate Democrat party. Hundred percent. Wow. And, and you've already seen a couple comments that Eric Adams had any issue that com- comes up. He's already, with his narrative, leaning towards the progressives. They run this state. They, they run this state, and they're moving it towards more of a California-like state. When they start allowing 800,000 um, non-citizens to vote in New York City, you think that's going to make it move more to the right or more to the left? Definitely, that is definitely going to make it move more to the left. But I don't How see. How much more left can we get without being a progressively run state? Now, this is to me what's really interesting. It, it, number one, a lot of that power still resides in Albany with this unelected Hochul. And I mean, she's one of the worst. I mean, she is clearly radical left. Some of the things that she's demanding. So you've got Hochul in, and you've got New Jersey. By the way, something just took place in New Jersey the other day that pointed toward more progressivism. So your take, this is a very interesting take, that you think that the progressives actually own New York City already. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, to anybody who's really paying attention. I don't know, because let me me ask you a question. What do you think is going to happen to all these businesses that want to reopen here? What do you think that's going to happen... When, when all of the businesses that are struggling to get back on their feet and people that are struggling to put their lives together after this two and a half years of pandemic hardball that has been played on the people of New York, do you think that these... Go ahead. Unfortunately, when progressives get a hold of a city or a state, they run it into the ground, and they aren't... They are rewarded for that with more federal money and actually more power. You show me a democratically run city or state that hasn't been run democratic for 30 or 40 years, yet that gets penalized for doing a bad job. As long as they do the right, say the right things, the results don't matter. The press covers them. There's not a single run state by Democrats or city that's been run well in the last 25, 30 years that has turned Republican. And when the one city that did it, New York, they were running Mayor Giuliani out of here before 9-11. They were running the greatest mayor New York City ever had out of here. That's true. So I think it's going to be a very long time before you see um, any kind of normalcy in New York City. I think it's going to be a slide. And once, once the slide starts and the businesses start to leave and the wealth starts to leave, the tax base starts to leave. But the wealth has already started to leave, and that's what... This is why I, I maintain to you that it is going to be Eric Adams has to realize this, that unless he takes control of this city right now, if he allows this, 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 this DA to run the agenda and to become the face of the new agenda, then Eric Adams, he can forget about having a, a, a mayorship that matters. He has to see this. And politically, regardless of how he wants to dress it over, make sure, oh, yeah, we don't have any real real conflict, he had better, if he's playing smart politically, do everything in his power to make sure that this city is not being defined by this radical 
district attorney, but that Adams still has a role to say in how the city is going to be governed. How could he not? Go ahead. Come on, John. Answer me. Come on. I think he's the, I think he's the face, and he's going to say the right things. But but you know he's going to be more like an Obama, who's going to get up and say exactly what everybody wants to hear. But behind the scenes, something very different is going to be going on, and I think the results of that are going to be borne out on the average citizens in New York City. And I hope you. Agree. I, I I well here's one thing we do agree. If you don't mind. Go ahead. Here's one thing we do agree with. By the way, it's not going to be pretty. We agree with that. No, Go ahead. As evidence of what I'm saying is the press won't hold the the left accountable for anything. There's a criminal who ran over and murdered six women and children at a Christmas parade in Wisconsin, and it could barely get 72 hours worth of coverage. And the only reason why that guy was out was because of crazy um, decisions by the DA in Wisconsin. And now we have a similar political setup in New York City, and similar things are going to happen, and the press is going to handle it the same exact way. It's going to get a day or two and be buried. And as long as that's happening, you're never going to have any kind of real change. These things are happening in every single city where George Soros has, and I hate to use the Soros, but this is real. George Soros has invested in these district attorney races. And every single one of his candidates that has won, whether it's Dallas, whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco, now New York, have radicalized these district attorney offices. And we're seeing the fruits of it. And the people in these cities are not happy, by the way. They're not happy at all with what's coming out of their cities And the district attorneys that worked in these offices before these radicals took over are not happy either. James Golden, A.K. Snurley, where do we go next? Let's go to Fred in Elmont. Fred, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. What's on your mind? Well, like Curtis Sleeva says, you know, don't say good morning or don't say how are you. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year, Bo. It's good to hear you. Um... I was thinking about the um, that little intro, Jill, Jill Biden. Oh God, it's too early for me. <laughs> Jill Biden, Jill Biden, that little intro song. Yes. What you know? In my mind, I'm doing things around the house on this wintry day, and I'm saying, is, wait a minute, is this a uh, is this a Monty Python's intro to like not Black Hat or the other one, Monty Python's Flying Circus? Or a good Tom. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what it sounds like. It sounds comical. It almost, it does sound comical. But this is Jill Biden's fanfare. This is what she wanted. And now she has her own fanfare to rival that of her husband, the president, who, who has hail to the chief play before him. So now you have hail to Dr. Biden. I'm wondering, was this the suggestion of Joe Biden saying, hey, you know, I have my wife is the other part of my team, my life. We have to have a, uh, you know, hail to the chief for her, too. Is that his idea or her idea? I, I My guess is that it's her idea. And, now, and poor Joe. Know, we don't even know whether Joe's aware of it or not. That's the thing. He may not even know what's going on with it yet. Yes, but do we have that music one one more time, Kev? Play you got to play it. 
no joke, folks. That is that is that is First Lady Jill Biden's newly created fanfare. That is the fanfare that will get played whenever Dr. Jill Biden is making a public appearance, just like the president has held to the chief. Now we have Joe Biden's music. A lot of people yesterday said it sounded sort of like F Troop, but that is Joe Biden's music. Where do we go next? Let's go to Brian in Denver, Colorado. Brian, welcome to WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Thank you so much, Bo. You're great, and uh, I really value your uh, input and insight. And I have a rather complicated uh, question uh, for you. It has to do with district attorneys, both Republicans and Democrats. And I think we Republicans tend to uh, make uh, George Soros out to be the boogeyman when, in fact, there's widespread corruption among district attorneys throughout the criminal justice system, both Republicans and Democrats. And I know I've experienced that uh, personally as an elected official in, in North Carolina. And I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of the Department of Justice and FBI, which has 700-something agents to pursue the January 6th attendees, but doesn't have two agents to investigate prosecutorial misconduct and much more serious crimes among uh, DAs. And, And if possible, off the air, uh, if I could get your contact information to send you more info. No, I can't do that. But let me answer your question. Um, the Department of Justice, and I have gone on record of saying this, and I will say it again, is the Democrat Party Department of Justice. It is corrupt through and through. I believe there are many great men and women who work at the FBI. My take on the FBI is very different from many people in America's take on it. I believe the FBI has been a corrupt institution for decades. The corruption at the FBI just didn't start with Donald Trump. That was the latest manifestation of it. The corruption at the FBI goes back to J. Edgar Hoover running that that corrupt agency. And his name should have never been allowed to be a part of any building in Washington, D.C. He was corrupt. The Department of Justice has been corrupt, and it serves the Democrat Party. It does not serve America. How can you have the Department of Justice tell us that we have enough agents to go out and round up 700 people based on Facebook, based on everything, we've and we've tracked them down, and we're going to bring them in and haul them in because they went inside the Capitol building. And the same DOJ can't find Hillary Clinton's 35,000 emails. They don't have enough resources to track down what happened during Hillary Clinton's using unofficial, which is against the law, unofficial means to convey government email. But they couldn't get to the bottom of that. It is corrupt. The Department of Justice has been corrupt. And anytime Democrats take over, you really see the extensive nature of that corruption come out. When Eric Holder was running the DOJ for Barack Obama, he used to tell him up front, I'm his wingman. 
The DOJ was nothing but an Obama assistance program. It's a Democrat Party agency. It has nothing to do with justice for Americans. It has to do with Democrat Party agendas. And that's what the DOJ is. If President Trump runs again and wins again, one of the first things he should do the day one is fire every single, every single one of those um, attorney generals. Every AG at the DOJ should be fired day one and replaced. Every single one. The Department of Justice in this country is a disgrace. The FBI, and again, there are many great agents that work for the FBI. There are many agents at the FBI that are doing wonderful work because they are, as individuals, trying to live up to their own integrity. That said, the agency that is the FBI is a corrupt agency and has been for decades. Sorry, that's just the way it is. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, back in a moment. WABC. Holland Dolly. That's right, Holland Dolly Holland, I think, wrote this. Diana Ross, the Supremes. Wow. The supergroups. And Diana Ross will always be in the Supremes, one of America's first supergroups. So, Kev, you tell me you we've got it. We we first we've had everyone telling us at the Joe Biden fanfare, and this is new. This is not satire, folks. Again. Joe Biden demanded, somebody in the Biden administration demanded and got their own music mix for Dr. Joe Biden. We have it. We've been playing it. We will play it one more time. But now we have the comparison piece. That Correct, Kevin? That is correct. Well, let's play the Joe Biden first. Let's, again, play that one more time so people can hear First Lady Jill Biden's This is her official fanfare that gets played every time she's announced publicly somewhere. Go ahead and play it. That's Dr. Joe Biden's sweet. Now, I understand we have a lot of our listeners heard that yesterday. They said he reminded them of F Troop. We have F Troop. Let's play F Troop. Let's see whether it reminds you of F Troop. Go ahead. <laughs> the end of the Civil War was near when quite accidentally a hero who sneezed abruptly seized retreat and reversed it to victory. 
thrilled his proud little family group. Some blood was spilled, and so it was planned he command F Troop. Where Indian fights are colorful sights, and nobody takes a licking when pale face and red skin both turn ticket. When drilling and fighting get them down, they know they're around and true. As long as they all relax in town before they resume with a bang and a boom. F Troop. Wow. Let's play the Joe Biden. Joe Biden's fanfare one more time. It's a Amazing. Uh, by the way, did you, would you, I, the, some of those lyrics on the F Troop, whoa, talk about a little politically incorrect. I love it. Anyway, WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdy with you. Where do we go? John is in Queens. Welcome, John, WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you? Good morning, James. Uh, yes, I just want to say that fanfare song, Sounds like when a couple is leaving church, they just got married, and the limo driver blows the horn when they're driving <laughs> away from church. <laughs> exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> well, that's Joe Biden's theme music, and so we had better just be, uh, you know, don yeah. all gay apparel and be respectful of it, eh? Yes. Appreciate okay, the thank you. thank you. Appreciate the call. Where are we going next? Let's go to Joanne in Long Island. Hi, Joanne. Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Hey, um, maybe the doctor needs to play music to keep her husband awake before she enters a room. Uh-oh. Uh, my real question is, um, uh, your opinion, I just had in the past a year or so attended a lot of rallies. I even, from New York, went to D.C., yeah. And I've been to rallies from 500 people to 1,000 yeah. people. And yeah. I noticed every once in a while, there's a group that goes in and tries to instigate. Yep. And they look for the person, they will slay a body into someone until they find the right person that might say, hey, what are you doing? And they will drop to the floor and start this theater. Now, I'm curious, I'm circling back to January 6th. Do you think that anyone's looking into... Obviously, I'm going to say Soros uh, paid staff or theater for those well, that insurrection. Here's what I do know. I do know that there is oh, there are over 14,000 hours of video surveillance that have not been released to the public. And before we jump to conclusions about that January 6th date, the question should be asked, why is the government refusing, refusing to release the footage 
They're not releasing it to media companies. Also, why is Nancy Pelosi refusing to to deploy her records? She has records of what was taking place before the security requests that were being made before all of this. Where are her records? So I don't know whether people are looking at exactly what you're looking at, but I do know that we are we do have an incomplete an incomplete investigation into what took place on January the 6th. And that's because the Democrats don't want a complete one. They don't want to go on the record with the truth. And the question that they should be asked every step of the way is, why? Why are you so afraid to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth and have it seen by the American people and by the world? Thank you for the call. Where do we go next? Let's go to Andrew. Andrew is in New York. Andrew, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. What's on your mind? Yes, thank you, Bo. This is the first time uh, speaking to you. Thank you. Um, I'm an American citizen. I also am a veteran. I think I know the Democrats, uh, Biden, they're, what they're up to in 2022-2024. We, we're going to win in 2022, and Trump is going to win in 2024. But to them... They already have plans that that wouldn't matter that we win because they're going to protest. They're going to plan on going to the Capitol and doing worse than what they say we the Trump and the Republicans did. They have the power. They have the the military on their side. If I was the president then, he should have, before allowing that uh, minute, you know, those people to go to the Capitol, he didn't do that to, for them to attack the Capitol. But what he should have did is have on his own, even though they wouldn't want the National Guard, either have the National Guard or the military ready to go. Not to to attack the Capitol, but to take it back because it was stolen from him. We all know that. They keep on saying just the other day I heard Biden say on the TV right after January 6th BS what he's doing uh, that he says there is no proof. Look, 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 look. I am not going to be part of this whole relitigating that last election until the next election. Joe Biden is president, okay? And his speech was disgraceful. Kamala Harris's speech was disgraceful. We have to do two things. We have to win the 2022 elections, period. And then from there, we have to win the 2024 elections. And hopefully, if we do our jobs this time and next time, All of those questions get put to rest. Thank you. I do appreciate the call. Where are we going next? Let's go to Jamie in Marion County, Florida. Hello, Jamie. Welcome. How are you? Mr. Golden, good morning to you. Thank Um, you. I am in sunny Florida, but I'm a New Yorker. I lived in Queens most of my life. And I wanted to see if you and Mr. Carter would tackle the race problem. I think it is uh, something that only you guys can talk about because no white person can actually tackle this problem. And I see that you're in the right, you know, you're in the side of law and order and 
all that stuff. And a lot of the things that have been talked about today actually have to do with it. Um, well, let me put it uh, like I this. Actually, First of all, Dominic is an amazing guy. And I'd like to thank Dominic again. Dominic sat in for me when I was on vacation. Thank you, Dominic. Um, and Dominic Carter and I can do a lot with our own individual radio shows, but everyone has a vested interest in moving America forward. Black, white, your skin color doesn't matter. We all have a vested interest. If I, if I, if I, may, um, if I may say that it does, everything has to do with race. I mean, the thing with the DA right now has to do with race. He's, he is a bait-and-switch guy, okay, which actually uh, there was another conversation about that, how, look, he's playing the two sides of the fence. You know, yeah, he is. But look, okay, well, I got to run here because time is running out, sadly. We can continue this discussion. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, it has been a pleasure to be with you Saturday morning, spend this Saturday morning with you. Every Saturday we're here. Hopefully next Saturday I won't have COVID with me. Um, and <laughs> we'll see you on Monday when we get back, 4 o'clock. Be here, WABC Talk Radio 77, New York, our great city. The sun is out today. Enjoy it in spite of the winter wonderland that's still out there. And we are in the greatest nation humanity has ever witnessed, the United States of America. God bless, love, and protect each and every one of you back on Monday. Bye.